Slow Burn Media and Bill Huffman present this week's episode of Who Killed? Featuring special guest Kelsey German, sister of Liberty German from Delphi, Indiana. This morning, our top story this morning happening right now in Carroll County. The sheriff's office and community members continue to look for two missing girls last seen near the Monon High Bridge Trail in Delphi. News 18's Alexis Moberger reports how many have spent hours searching, and they say they will not stop looking until the girls are found. We're just praying for their safe return. 13-year-olds Liberty German and Abigail Williams went missing Monday. The girls were last seen near an abandoned railroad bridge known as the Monon High Bridge around 1 o'clock in the afternoon. We're upset, confused, obviously very distraught. Worried. All I want to do is have the girls get home safe. Missing, abducted, we don't know for sure. Uh, cell phone has been pinging around town here. There's a cell phone tower, but the ping was last noted about five or six hours ago. They say the phone's now dead. Ravines, ditches, trash cans for phones, any any sign of, of it, girls and anything we can find to find them. Honestly, I hope they're just hidden up somewhere, scared to be in trouble. And an update now on our top story, those two missing girls in Carroll County, the Sheriff's Office and members of the Delphi area community continue searching for those missing girls in the Delphi area, saying now they won't stop until those 13-year-olds are found. It's been nearly 24 hours, of course, since they were reported missing. 13-year-olds Liberty German, Abigail Williams, last seen around 1 o'clock Monday afternoon near the Monon High Bridge, that abandoned rail bridge just outside of Delphi. This is breaking news from Channel 13 Eyewitness We have news. nobody in, in custody at this time. Uh, so as far as I'm concerned, yes, there is somebody out there that did this horrendous crime, and uh, we're going to track them down. State police talking about the fear and concern in a small town community after they announced that two missing girls were in fact victims of murder. Investigators solemnly identified the two bodies found in Carroll County as 13-year-olds Libby German and Abby Williams. Now we still don't know what happened to them after they disappeared during an afternoon hiking trip. I think they were in pretty much belief that it was their, their children, um, but when you hear it from an official it, it's it's still a little just, still, it hits home twice. One of the hundreds of volunteer searchers found the bodies of Libby German and Abby Williams in a wooded area near Deer Creek. It is an area accessible only by foot or on horse. We are using resources from uh, all the way from Lowell, Fort Wayne, and uh, the southern state, or the southern part of the state's uh, police, state troopers. We will stay on the job until it is done. So as far as I'm concerned, yes, there is somebody out there that did this horrendous crime and uh, we're going to track them down. Jeff and Kayla, two bodies were discovered around 12.15 this afternoon just east of Delphi, not too far from where I'm standing, actually, near Deer Creek. Now, although, although their identities are unknown, they were found less than a mile upstream from the Monon High Bridge where 13-year-olds Liberty German and Abigail Williams were last seen yesterday. The FBI, Indiana State Police, the Carroll County Sheriff's Office, and Delphi Police are all working the investigation. As police continue a very methodical investigation here, going down every road in the search for clues, some folks who live near the crime scene, they fear that their road will never be the same. Again, they have not said he's a suspect or a person of interest. Instead, investigators believe that he is the only person they haven't identified who was in the area at that time. It was unbelievable. 
it is Delphi after all. It's family. That way I've always put it. It's everyone knows each other. So I could not believe what was happening. It was very shocking. We're all sort of hurting a little bit. If we could share that, maybe it might be easier. I think our day was uh, disbelief um, and, and kind of questions. You know, why? Why did this have to, have to happen uh, to our students in Delphi? Why did this happen in our community? This gentleman has not been identified, and we want to know what he saw, what he might have seen on the trail. Uh, did he see somebody else that maybe some of the others didn't see? The Sheriff's Department says the trail photos of a man released Wednesday have brought in about 200 tips, and they're checking every one of them, they say. Hello and welcome to episode 82 of Who Killed? I'm your host, Bill Huffman, and this is a Slow Burn Media production. This is part two of my conversation with Kelsey German, the sister of Liberty German, who was the unfortunate victim of a double homicide back in 2017. Abby Williams was also killed that same day. Now, Kelsey and I had a few really good conversations about this case, and she's very candid about her relationship with Libby, and it's really great to see a sister who is also such an advocate for the other, and the relationship that they have was definitely a special one, and it really shines, I think, in the conversations that I have with her and when she's reflecting on her time with her sister. And it's a very difficult subject matter. So, uh, again, this is part two of my conversation with Kelsey German of Delphi, Indiana. Let's pick up where we left off. And that was you were huddled around with your classmates at school and you had received word before that there was going to be a press conference about the new evidence that was recovered. Run me through that day. So like what happened was the teacher knew I was going to be listening to it and she didn't want me to watch it alone. Um, She didn't want me to sit in the back of the classroom and be completely by myself because we didn't know what they were going to release. Like, what if they had somebody? We just had no idea. Our brains were going a million different directions on what they could be releasing that day. So she just made the decision, asked everybody if it was okay, and everybody was totally on board with it. So we all just sat together and listened. Now, we, we kind of went over it a little bit because we talked about how Libby, you know, she was basically Libby that was the forward thinking with all her detective stories and ID channel watching that you guys did together. Basically, she was the one that was able to provide that photo and provide that sound clipping. And I think that's kind of where, like where we left off. And, you know, because as far as the media goes, when they're covering a case and they get that kind of, you know, new break, they'll cover it heavily, as you know, for a couple of weeks. But if there's no action on it, they like to just sort of move on to the next thing. And that's just the the way of the unfortunate 24-7 media. But mm-hmm. that's why it's good to have shows like podcasts and stuff like that can that can tell the story in a different form and a longer form opposed to just a news clipping or something like that. Absolutely. I think the media kind of launched off with it right away. And like that day, they were all at the press release. I think... I had like a million different messages. My phone had already been going crazy for the weeks before 
and I remember my phone had just started to like finally calm down. I wasn't getting a million notifications. Nobody was texting me saying they were so sorry. Like I had that, but not as much as like the first few days. And then all of a sudden it was happening again because all of these people were picking it up and we hit national media, podcasts, local media. Everybody was just going crazy with this new face and voice that we had. And yeah, it was just really, really great to know that my sister was able to do something like that. Yeah, it was definitely amazing that she was able to think through that process and and make that happen because otherwise we'd kind of be left without, no, we would be left without anything. So let's go back to where Libby and Abby were found. Now they were found on private property, right? Correct? That is correct. They were found. So once you cross the bridge where I was standing for me, it would be across the creek. Um, so technically it would be on the other side of the bridge before you crossed it, kind of about half a mile away, I would say. Where the body was recovered was about a half mile yeah. from the bridge? Yeah, I, be- I believe that's right. Kind of like where the cemetery is, it'd be down from there. Okay. Now where's the cemetery in reference to the bridge then? Because I don't think we talked about the cemetery. So I would, you, do you know the spot I would have dropped them off at? The little clearing area. Yeah. Um, it's kind of like the trailhead. But of the High listeners, Bridge. yeah, the listeners um, may not know exactly the. But it's just I know, like I'm it's, it's to a. Of but how it's to a describe well, it. It's kind of like um, a roundabout, like in the sense where it's just a. It's a. Tra- yeah, it's like anybody, the. Yeah. Anybody's been to a hike, kind of knows what a trailhead looks like. There's. A parking mm-hmm. lot, but there's no road. Well, it's not really, so for this one, it's not really a parking lot. So it's kind of just a little, I don't know, you kind of just turn onto it and it's like a trail. And so it's right off the road in front of these, this little farmer's house. It's not really little. He has a lot of farm. And if you're at that trailhead and you go the opposite direction back towards my house, it would be right there on your right. So instead of going towards Delphi, you go in the other direction. Which isn't, it isn't that far. They were going the opposite direction of your house? To go to the cemetery, you would be going towards my house. Now, when they released the picture of the, of the suspect or the person that they believe is involved, obviously it was a grainy picture. And then they released a composite sketch. <laughs> How do you feel about the composite sketch? Because I've interviewed a number of people who've done this type of stuff and they say don't concentrate too much on that absolutely and I think that's really important so I've talked to the police about it countless times just because it's a very tricky subject especially now that we have two um but I think in the beginning everybody was focusing on what the sketch looked like more than anything else and I think that that's just because they didn't no, they weren't educated on it, and we weren't publicly saying not to focus on that. Um, but a sketch is not a photograph. It's just something that somebody remembers of somebody that they saw out there that day, and also based on the video as much as they could get out of it. And so it's not like it's not like they can remember exactly what somebody looked like. Like I cannot hang up on this phone call and say, I know exactly what Bill looked like when I hung up. I'm not going to be able to describe what your eyes looked like, what your nose looked like. No, I'm not going to remember that stuff. Just because, well, first off, it's a little blurry. 
but also like you just you don't think to look at that stuff when you're passing somebody or you're talking to somebody you just met maybe if it was like my grandma I could describe all of that stuff for you but not somebody that I've met twice so it's just very hard to get people to understand that the person that we're going to find in the end of this is going to be somewhere in between sketch number one and sketch number two because there are similarities in those sketches and the person that somebody remembers looks like some of those characteristics are what they remember. It's not exactly that person, but something in there caught their eye and they're like, man, that nose is exactly what I'm looking for. Or those ears are what I'm looking for. Whatever it may be, that's what they saw. And that's what's really going to end up catching this guy. In regards to the second sketch, did the police give you any insight into how they came up with that particular sketch? Just because they are so different is the only reason that I ask. I mean, I know there are similarities, but if you're just a, a layman and you're walking by and you see these two pictures in the window, you may not think they're the same, possibly the same person. Did they give you any reason to think that somebody saw something else? I believe that their reasoning behind it is that there were just advancements over the course of the two-year period that had been at the time um, in technology and in their knowledge. So they were given more knowledge either from technology or from people that led them to believe that the second sketch was more accurate, I would guess, or a better rendition of what this guy might look like. It's good that they go back and they readjust the composites because, again, like you said, how is somebody going to remember what they saw or try to fill in what they're thinking they see uh, of a video clip? You know, you, you find that so often and they're, they're trying to – it's almost like a caricature of the image of what they, you see. And – when they first broadcast the bridge guy or whatever they called him originally, I think that's what they called him. They emphasize that a, a different body size. And in the new sketch, he looks a lot leaner and more, I guess, more physically able than the first sketch. And I will put yeah, the sketches I, on my website so you can look at them or just Google them. Cause you know, it's out there Delphi sketches, but don't you think, isn't that weird? Yeah, it is. Um, but I, for me, I believe that it has to be somebody a little more physically able in, in order to cross the bridge. That bridge is so scary. Like, I would not cross it if I thought that I would, like, even have a chance of falling over. And the bigger you are, the more unstable and unbalanced you are. And you have to be able to get over these incredibly large gaps. So, like, I, I think the second sketch just makes more sense to me. And I, I would have to agree with you on that, especially after you described it the first time that we talked about having those gaps and being 60 feet above the ground. And if you did fall, you probably wouldn't make it. I don't know. I guess kids just kind of hang out wherever they want to hang out, being 60 feet and abandoned and gaps in there. I don't know. I'd be nervous if I was going, going there, I guess. Or as a parent, I'd be nervous. It's just something that everybody in our community did. It's very popular for kids to go across it. A lot of parents wouldn't cross it. My best friend walked to one of the first 
little outlooks to get her like soft or her like semi-formal pictures done and she was wearing heels for the first like 10 feet of that absolutely not I would not do that but like that's just what we did here like we didn't have anything else to do so what what do you do you go out in the country and you explore and you do things that are super dangerous and if you go to the next town over you would be jumping off of a bridge into a river so it's just like those that's what we have and that's what we do and a lot of people we get a lot of criticism for that but it's just so like that's that's what you do to have fun here and so I crossed it the first picture actually I think I posted one it's a picture of me crossing the bridge that Libby took of me and I'm like actually crawling across the bridge because I was terrified so that bridge is not safe it is so scary but you can do it like I, I know people that would probably like they're really scared of heights and they wouldn't but um like my aunt would never do that but Libby wasn't scared of anything so that's just definitely something she would do just cross the bridge as many times as she could so Libby and Abby you know was Abby like her like BFF forever and you know or were they were they as close as you and Libby were or I wouldn't say that Either of us ever had a friendship that was as close as me and Libby. But Libby had a lot of best friends, like a a ton of really close friends. So I don't want to say that one friend was her closer friend than the other. But Abby was definitely at our house a lot. And um, they spent a ton of time together. And they just really enjoyed each other's company. They were opposites in a lot of ways, but in a lot of ways the same. Um, And that they complimented each other in such a good way that they were able to like, like when Libby was being too much, Abby would get her to calm down. And so when Abby wasn't being enough and she needed to be pulled out of her shell a little bit, Libby was always able to say, you know, Abby, you can do it. You can, you can cross the bridge right now. You'll be fine. Or get him to get her to talk to somebody. Oh, he's so cute. (laughs) This is Leland. <laughs> he's, he's making some noise underneath my chair at the moment. <laughs> he's he's a character. <laughs> oh. Oliver was just over here. Yeah, I saw him running around doing <laughs> doing his thing. But yeah, back to the uh, kids being kids. I mean, I jumped off a dam uh, when I was eighteen in Utah in October into a reservoir that I didn't even know what was in it with a bunch of other people. Like you just do stupid stuff. And yeah, especially if there's nothing else to do, like you said, you lived in the country. What is the closest city to you or major city to you? I would say the closest major city would be Lafayette. Um, that's where most people would go if they wanted to go to like to the mall or to like, bowling if you wanted to actually do something i would say lafayette would be the place to go um, and how long but a lot of times that would be half an hour depending Jeez. on where you're going yeah okay so you're really out there yeah it's it's pretty fo- like everything is about half an hour from us you could go to Logansport, they don't have a lot there but that's about half an hour monticello is about half an hour ish from our house so everything's about the same distance from where we're at. And so anything fun that you can do, you have to be able to drive to do it. And so a lot of teenagers that go to school and live in town would just walk the trails, 
I think people even go and hang out at the gas stations sometimes. Like that's that, just don't worry. That's do not even fun. that's not even an odd thing. Even in a suburb <laughs> of Cleveland, trust me, that's still where people went and hung out when there was plenty to do. That wasn't jumping off of cliffs or whatever. No, I I get that. Exactly. I, I mean, when there's not any, I mean, especially when you're kids, you don't have any money, do anything. Yeah. So you go and you hang out at the gas station and your buddy works a part-time job. Hey, I'm going to go up there and hang out for a while. I know that that's what exactly. We and so, I mean, I don't find that that unusual at all. I don't find any of it unusual. I think you just make the most of what you have. And mm-hmm. that's kind of the way it is. I grew up with like a best friend like that, where you're kind of like, I was the daredevil and he was kind of the one that would sort of be apprehensive. And is that what you, what you would say about Abby and Libby? Yeah, I would say that. Now, if you talk to Abby's family, they might not say that Abby was ever that quiet. I think I've heard a lot of stories about her not being as quiet. Um, I can't really talk for her, but I do know that when Abby was at our house, she was, she never like, she wasn't as outspoken as the stories I would hear later. And so every time Libby was around her, Libby was able to get her to be more outspoken. She'd been at our house a lot in that time. And so I had spent a lot of time around her and we'd been hanging out a lot more and she had become a lot more talkative around me. And so I think just over time, she was just a little more shy than Libby was. Um, so maybe, maybe a little bit more apprehensive, but that was also just the Abby that I saw. Like there, there were probably other people that saw her differently. Yeah, I get that. And I get the part earlier when you were saying you didn't want to, you know, she has lots of best friends and you don't want to discount any of the best friends mm-hmm. and that's and that's very true i mean all these people had a special relationship with her and she sounds like she was an amazing person so we're back to where you get the picture of the bridge guy and then how long after the discovery of the body did that come out the video yeah well did they release a picture first i do believe they released just like two still images from it and didn't tell anybody it was a video But I never understood why they said that when they gave out audio at the same time, because you can't take a picture with audio. But I don't know, maybe that's just me being a teenager and knowing things. But anyway, it was pretty obvious that it was a video, I think. So in the end, I I think that I know I was back at school when that was released. So it was I didn't go back for two weeks. So definitely about two weeks after, I would assume, maybe March, when they released it. Oh, so it was shortly after you had return, returned back to school. Yeah, it hadn't been that long. There you guys are. Evidence comes out. What did you end up doing at that point? I mean, were, you, were, you were still kind of off the radar, and you kind of were keeping to yourself. You weren't really out in the public's eye, right, at that, at that time? Yep, that's correct. When it, was it that you... All right. Oh, oh, no. See, now there's another dog in here. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. You guys, this isn't... I have a door cracked. Just cracked. 
gosh. All right. I'm trying to do something. But, you know, come on. All right. <laughs> okay. Sorry about that. Pause <clears throat> <laughs> All right, so we are at school. You get the new evidence. Do you go back home at that point, or do you stay at school and finish out the semester? I stayed at school. I spent a lot of time in my yearbook class. That was my all-time favorite teacher. She was always there for me. Um, So if I just needed a quiet place, she had a little office in the back of her room, and I would just go sit in there. And I spent a lot of class periods just doing homework in there, selling yearbook ads, like constantly, just so that I could get my mind off things. And uh, so I did stay there. I just didn't spend a lot of time in my actual classrooms that year. It was good for me not to be at home, I think. So they were out doing news, anything. Um, They were talking to the police constantly. Uh, It was just everything was about Abby and Libby. And I just needed... I needed some quiet time to myself so that I could figure out what I needed to do for myself so that I could be okay, so that I could do exactly what they're doing, and which wasn't really what I thought was going to happen. I thought I was just going to stay out of it the whole time, but I'm glad I didn't stay out of it. Um, but at that point, I just needed somewhere to go, and my yearbook class was the place. Yeah, I definitely got that feeling when you talked about I'm assuming this is the same yearbook teacher that told you that you lit up when you were discussing true crime, correct? Yeah, yeah she's the same person. Awesome. Yeah, I, I could find that being, see that being a safe place and being a place to, you kind of get a free pass that year, obviously, for okay. any circumstance that you had to go through. When I started going back to school, nobody actually knew that I was there. They, I don't think they thought I would come back as soon as I did. Uh, so I, I only, I was only out for two weeks, and I came right back just because I needed out of the house. I couldn't stay in there and cry anymore. So we didn't tell anybody. I just went, and I think everybody was so amazed by it. They're like, "We thought you were going to be out the rest of the year. We didn't think you were coming back. They were just going to send me my homework to the house and be done with it." But I ended up going back, and I had to tell everybody I was there. My guidance counselor called me to the office like twice a week, every week for that semester, just because she wanted to make sure I was okay. And I think she was actually the first person that made me realize how resilient I was because she just kept telling me that. She's like, Kelsey, you realize how I would not be doing what you're doing. I would not be okay. I would not be back at school. Um, And so that's kind of when I started to get myself back at that point and then kind of got into things and started to grieve a little better and find myself and now I'm here you're here and you're (laughs) primed to take the medical world by storm with your passion you are resilient and obviously you have made huge strides in dealing with this case because you can talk about it without breaking down. And I feel like it's uncomfortable as an interviewer to obviously discuss, to be discussing such a horrible thing with somebody as close to the victim as you were. I just hope that we're able to get as many people out there that don't know. I mean, at this point, I got to imagine everybody knows about this case, but I don't know. You just feel like the more podcasts you do, the more interviews you do, 
you feel like you're getting at least involved and pushing the ball down the field, I guess. Oh, yeah, definitely. But it's crazy how many people don't know about this case. I'll get follows on Twitter of people that say, I didn't know about this until I watched like Kendall Ray's video two weeks ago. And I'm like, it's been three years. How how do you not know? Like, do you like live under a rock? Because like I've been on like Dr. Phil and Megan Kelly and now like a bunch of other things. And like these people still don't, they just still don't know. Like, how is that? And so every time that happens, it is a little defeating. But we also have to remember that there are oh, like millions of people that do know about this case. I can walk into a store and be known by somebody no matter what state I am in. There's flyers of the old sketch at every single campground in the United States and in every single county in Indiana. And we've just, we have an amazing group of people in the brainstorming group on Facebook that share this flyer so much and get it out there to so many different places that I know there's so many people that have seen it. They just haven't clicked with the right person yet. So we're just going to keep sharing until we find out who did it and uh, find the person that maybe holding the information back because they're scared or they're worried or um, they just don't know how to get it in. Um, they don't know. They don't, they're fighting with their own subconscious. Maybe it's somebody they love. Maybe it's somebody they don't know and they're just not really sure yet. Um, we're just waiting to find that person. What's your relationship with the police like at the moment? Um, we're, we're really close with them. I think they're really awesome. I really do. I think they're putting so much time and effort and emotion into this case. I've heard people say they're not doing their investigation fully. Um, I even think there was an interview that said that the crime scene was tainted or something yesterday. But it's just not true. They are doing absolutely everything they can. They just keep in constant contact with us, and you can tell that they, they're not going to stop. And I think that's just an amazing feeling for us as a family. Um, I think I posted it, something about it last night because I was, I was doing my forensics homework, and I, I was just learning about how these investigations work. And I'm like, there is no way in the world that I could have ever understood the work that they're putting into this case without taking these classes, even though we talk to them so, so often um, and they keep us updated as much as they can. I don't think that anyone can ever really understand that, which makes me so, so sad for other people that don't have that relationship with them because I, I am super grateful for our guys on the ground. They do an amazing job <clears throat> and they really are resilient people to deal with the subject matter and the recovery and all that other stuff that goes into the investigation of, you know, of a homicide. And what I've noticed as far as police throughout the years is with some families, they, they become strained because they're not sharing information with them. Do you feel like you have an open, basically an open door policy with them where you can kind of say whatever you want with them and they'll keep you up to date with what's going on? without obviously giving you information that's going to be negative to the case. Oh yeah, definitely. If we have any questions there, I have Doug Carter's cell phone number in my phone like that. That's a tie that I can just call him and say, Hey, I'm really frustrated right now. I just want to know what's going on. And he won't give me more information, but he'll just, 
explain to me how the investigation's going. Try to get me to calm down and see how I'm feeling. He'll just tell me whatever I need to hear to kind of get me through it, uh, which is, has been really great. If I just, I have any questions at all about the investigation, they're always there. And that's true for our entire family. They do keep closer contact with Anna and my grandpa. I think for Libby's side of the family, my grandpa's the main contact. So if they ever need anything, they definitely call him first. But then grandpa will call me if he needs help answering a question or something. So we're just always in contact with them. And they're always there to make sure that we're updated on whatever's going on. Um, If something new happens, we're always told about it if we can be told about it. We never know who's cleared and who's not cleared, that kind of thing. But any information that they can give us, they definitely try to make sure we're updated on it. And let's segue with that right there about the who's cleared and who's not cleared. How many people live in the city of Delphi? I believe last time I heard it was just over 4,000. Okay, so we have 4,000 people. The investigators don't believe that he's local? Investigators believe that our guy is local or he has ties to Delphi in some way, which I believe to be true. I don't think, would you have known that Highbridge was there if I, you weren't ever in Delphi? So like, that's, that's my point. Nobody, nobody knows that that bridge is there unless you've been to Delphi, you have family that lives in Delphi, you live in Delphi, like you have to live in the proximity of our town to know that it's there. There's people in Lafayette that didn't know it existed, but there were people in Monticello that knew it was there. Um, So there's definitely people in our neighboring towns that knew, but you definitely had to be from the area to know that bridge was there. And I think that's kind of one reason why I would say that they're right. He has to be in the area somewhere. Okay, because that kind of goes into what I asked you about in the first episode about how old the tracks were how old the tracks were because I was wondering if they connected to anything, you know, if there was any way you could follow those tracks to another set of tracks. And I'm assuming that means no. Yeah, no, the, the track actually just connects to the trail system, but is actually not part of the trail system. You're not supposed to go onto the bridge. So they actually took the rest of the railroad part that was in that area out so now all that's left is the part that goes over at Deer Creek. And then Deer Creek is what's right below the bridge. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. It would be, it goes through Delphi. So when they bring up the phrase down the hill, where are they referring to, do you think? I would say at the end of the bridge, once you have crossed it, you have to go down a hill to get to the private drive. You can go on either side of the bridge. I don't know which one, obviously, that they would have went down, but I would definitely assume that it's at the end of the bridge right there. Since we started talking about people being cleared, people being local, have they brought up any names? Has there been any suspect names that have been brought to your attention at all? By the police, not to me. Um, My grandparents haven't said anything to me, so I'm going to go with there's been no names put out there to us. Um, That doesn't mean that they don't have somebody in mind, but if they do, they're keeping that pretty close to the belt. So as far as misconceptions, I know that there was that individual that was arrested in Colorado that kind of drew a bunch of attention. People 
thought that he may be connected to the crime, that definitely is not connected, right? If you know the case that I'm referring to? I do. I would say no, uh, only because it's been so long. I feel like if it was him, we would know by now. Also, something that the police have said a few times is that if somebody has been incarcerated or dead for a certain amount of time, longer than a couple months, I would say, um, it's very unlikely that he's our suspect because they are checking these people out to see if it could be him. So they don't usually, the backlog for us isn't that long because we're such a high profile case that they can get their information really quickly compared to other cases. So we know a lot faster if it's our guy or not. Yeah. We don't know. The police know that, not us. Right. Does the FBI have any involvement in the case? The, they do. Uh, I, they um, aren't all here anymore, I don't think. But our law enforcement agencies that are working on the case, the Carroll County Sheriff Department and the ISP, work closely with the FBI if they need anything technology-wise that our guys don't have. They're able to go to the FBI to get it. And the hotline goes directly to the FBI. So they don't work as closely with us as they did in the beginning, but they're definitely still there. And so the hotline number, what would be the hotline? Do you know the hotline number offhand? Yeah, it's 844-459-5786. And that goes directly to the FBI? Yes, but um, we actually prefer that you send any tips to the email um, Abby and Libby tip at C-A-O-C-O-S-H-R-F dot com. Um, that just goes straight to the guys that are working in Delphi to work on this case. Um, and it will still be anonymous. Um, your email will be there, but the only way they use that is so that they can keep track of that information easier. And if they have any questions, they can get back to you. And that way, if your tip does lead to catching this guy, they can send you an email and say, hey, this is the guy. Where do you want us to send the reward money to? That's kind of what they are asking more. Um, not that the tip line is a bad thing. They do go through those too, but that just goes through another channel and the FBI scribes them down in a big email and sends them to our guys and then the email's left totally out and you have no way of contacting you again unless you give your information. Well, that's very good information to have for the listeners, especially if they know anything about the case. And now back to the case. As far as, let's see, Daniel Nations was the guy that I was talking about before who had been arrested in Colorado. That's the person that I had, that I had heard of. And then I remember reading about when I was over the summer, there was also an individual who killed himself or something along those lines. What, what's the deal with that or any of these suspects? I mean, do you want to clear some of this stuff up? So the reason the one that killed himself, his name is Paul Edders. Um, he is a local to Lafayette, Indiana, which is only half an hour from us. He actually... From my understanding of reading news articles about him, a car was pulled over on the side of the road. Her car had broken down and he pulled up behind her and asked if she needed a ride or help or something. 
And she said, no, um, she was okay. And I think he ended up following her or something. Anyway, however it happened, he took this girl to his barn and raped her. And she ended up getting away and getting to a friend's or a neighbor's house and telling them what had happened. And then it kind of, it led to a big statewide manhunt for this guy. He ended up in Lebanon. He killed himself right there in front of the police during a standoff. Um, And after that, he did look a lot like the first sketch. That's very true. But just like all of the other people, it wasn't somebody that they could tie to our area. So he was definitely looked into. Every single one of them is definitely looked into. And they just haven't led to anything. So each of them are looked into. Just some of them get more media attention than others. And that's just because of the way they look, unfortunately. Yeah, you find a lot of lookalikes in a lot of these cases, especially if they put out a suspect's composite sketch, you start getting all those people saying it's this guy or that guy or my neighbor or my buddy who stole a bunch of money from me or something, you know, they throw them under the bus, even if they have nothing to do with it. When I saw you guys at CrimeCon last year, you were, were you with a state trooper or were you with the Carroll County Sheriff's? Our law enforcement travels with us when we go places a lot of times because they, well, CrimeCon wouldn't give us a panel if our law enforcement didn't come with us last year. But to each of them, they have came with us just to show their support. And um, a lot of the times they're in the interviews with us. So I'm trying to remember, I think at this CrimeCon, it was Sergeant Riley that came with us. And he is a... He's like the press release person for the Indiana State Police. Many thanks to this week's sponsor, Best Fiends. Being a true crime podcaster, I have a tendency to get a little down sometimes doing the research that I do, but I have found the perfect way to relax and give myself a little pick-me-up in the process, and that's called Best Fiends. Best Fiends is a puzzle game that you can actually play right on your phone, and it really is a lot of fun. Your brain will be locked in as you move through all the different levels and face challenging puzzles. But it's a fun and casual game that pretty much anyone can play. I am flying through these levels, and I would never consider myself an expert. Best Fiends won't take up much of your time, but what it does do is it makes moments like waiting for your next online meeting to come a little bit more fun. We've all been staying at home a lot more often these days, and Best Fiends is my new go-to app for entertainment. Oh, and the best part, you don't even need an internet connection to play. The game is so beautiful, it really does help my mind relax. And the cute animals and characters just make it better. Best Fiends updates monthly with new levels and events, so it always stays fresh. So engage your brain with fun puzzles, collect tons of cute characters, and trust me, with over 100 million downloads, this 5-star rated mobile puzzle game is a must-play. Download Best Fiends free on the Apple App Store, or Google Play. That's friends without the R. Best fiends. Okay. but So they travel with you everywhere. That's got to be comforting. Yeah, it is. It just shows how invested they are. Um, I remember the first year, um, I guess maybe, maybe it was 2018, we started off, or we ended the year, going to Dr. Phil. And not even a month later, we flew to Megyn Kelly 
and Doug Carter went to with us to both of those. So we went to both sides of the United States within a month, and there was a police officer, the superintendent of the Indiana State Police, who is like one of the most powerful people in Indiana. He can literally say something and make it happen. And he was with us that day. And like, it's just so amazing that these guys are there to help us. And they're so invested in this case that they will stand by us until the very end. And they're not going to let this case go cold. I, I think Doug Carter actually said he doesn't believe in cold cases. So once they're done going through all the information and they feel like they have nothing else to do, they're just going to start the entire investigation over again and go in a whole different direction with it. And that's just super amazing. They're just going to keep going until they find out who did this, no matter what. Yeah, you don't get that all the time with a lot of cases. And I think that when you have somebody that's a cheerleader supporting the case within the the ranks of the you know police officers, I think that is unbelievable. And what you guys, I know that you know he spoke a little bit at CrimeCon. It just does seem like they really do care about finding resolution for you and your family because this case obviously hangs over the state. I mean, it's kind of the, if you Google Delphi, it's the first thing that comes up. So I can only imagine that they want to see resolution, not only for you guys, but just in general. Yeah, definitely. I think it's a case that has affected so, so many people. Um, I think you can look at these two girls and see yourself in them. Like these are two young teenagers that were involved in so many things in school and they had a day off and they just went outside to play and have fun and enjoy time together. And I think that could be any of us. Any of us could have done that when we were in high school. Um, I know that that's what I did when I was 14. Usually I was with my family, but that's just something that so many people have done and so many people let their kids do prior to this in Delphi and so many people still do in other places because they don't know how dangerous it is yet and unfortunately I think something like this has to happen before you realize man we just can't let our kids go outside anymore and that's really sad so sad so Delphi it's kind of uh they keep everybody a little bit closer to the home every day now absolutely um before all of this happened, it was it just felt so safe. You were able to leave your doors unlocked at night and leave your cars outside on the side of the road in front of your house, wherever, without with the keys inside, with your purse inside. And like that was just how it was. You could do pretty much anything and feel safe there. You could walk in the woods, you could go down to the trails without parents. It was it was just such a safe place. But after that, the amount of people that had gun permits in Delphi skyrocketed. Um, the amount of people that had security systems skyrocketed. Kids just weren't allowed to go places by themselves for a really long time. I think that's getting a little better now, but it's still so scary and people are still so on edge that it's just a shadow hanging over our community. And until we catch this guy, that's always going to be there. Do you feel that way? Are you are you, do you find yourself being scared a lot? I used to um until I started advocating as much as I have and now there there's something that Michelle says actually that kind of gives me 
a lot of strength in not being scared. It's that the need to find justice for my sister was bigger than the fear it took to find him. And I just think that that is just so perfect. Like, if he's going to come after me, whatever, I don't care. But at least I found him. I know who he is. And so not everybody thinks that way. A lot of people are scared. My grandparents are scared for me because they know I would do anything to find him. And they know that I'm not scared anymore. But it's definitely made me watch my back a lot more. I'm a lot a lot more observant. And I watch where I'm going. I, I, I actually walk around my car three times before I get in it when I have to go out after work. So I just, I just pay closer attention to the people around me now. And I think other people do the same. It's good to have, and it's sad that, like you said before, it's sad that it takes something like that to make you more aware of the fact that the world's not a safe, happy place as much as we want to believe. I mean, generally, it's generally safe, but at the end of the day, crime can happen to anybody anywhere. And I think that's the scary part. You don't know where or when it's going to happen. Absolutely. And you just have to be... Unfortunately, you have to watch your back all the time. You never know who's around you. You really don't know the people around you. I, there's actually a statistic that says you can, you probably walk past at least one serial killer every day just because there are so many running free that we don't know about. Last, I think Crime Gone actually posted it that there, I think when you actually did the math, there were 15 in every state. So like they are everywhere. That is so crazy. And uh, we just have to be super careful and watch who we're friends with and watch who we're around and know self-defense and be just be careful. Like that's all you can really do. Don't put yourself in situations that you may not be able to get yourself out of too. Yeah, exactly. So what is your favorite memory about Libby? Like, what is, what is the one thing that you want everybody to know about? I know there's so many to choose from, but what's one thing that you want the listeners to know about your sister that was just like the greatest thing about her? Yeah, every, but every, every time I do an interview, they always ask me this question and I never know the answer to it. And I don't know why, because I spent, I spent so, so much time with her. And I was actually thinking of a story the other day. I just really, really love her laugh, which isn't something like you don't just record somebody's laugh, but I really wish that I just had a video of it so I could see it all the time. And that's probably one of my greatest memories is that we would just sit in her bedroom on the floor or my bedroom, whichever one, and just talk and talk for hours. And she would laugh so loud and it was so contagious so like whenever you were around her you were just so happy just to hear her laugh again would be amazing I can only imagine what I mean I don't have I lost my father but uh and I haven't heard his voice since but um definitely understand that the voice is is something do you have videos of her and stuff that you're able to play or are you able or not able to bring yourself to do it I do um I actually have a couple that like if I'm really having a bad day or I'm just really missing her and I need to hear her voice again I'll just listen to the videos but actually I find that when I go to her grave site sometimes I'll sit there and like have a conversation with her and sometimes you can 
hear her voice in the back of your head answering your questions or you're you go home and you take a nap right after because you know going and physically being there just exhausts you and she's just in your dream talking clear as day but any other time you couldn't think about what her voice sounded like and that is just such an amazing feeling so I I do listen to the videos sometimes but sometimes just taking a nap and her voice is there always and that that's always super rejuvenating for me she's sort of taken over your inner voice she is the voice of your inner soul now definitely and i i could not be as strong and outspoken as i am now sometimes i say i kind of took over my sister's role in my life because i was never loud and outspoken or any anything you would not have seen me getting up on stage talking to anyone three years ago, that never would have happened. I was just super shy and had really bad like anxiety. I couldn't get in front of people and talk, but Libby was always the person that was able to do that. And after that, I've, I've advocated so loud. I feel like that's not something I would do. And Libby would be like, are you kidding me? There's no way Kelsey's doing that right now because that's just not something she would ever see me do. Like I'm the person that couldn't order my own food at a restaurant until I was like 15 because I was so shy. But like now I can, I think I can do anything. It's amazing what a little bit of advocacy and a support system, like the one that you've described throughout these conversations you have built. I think it's amazing what they're able to enable you to do and embolden you with that inner strength because how else do you get through something so tragic? Yeah, exactly. And I think without it, I would not be in the place I am right now. I wouldn't be as strong or outgoing or whatever everybody says that I am without that support system, without having created this Twitter that just keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger. That support system there that I have with all of these victims, family members is just so crazy. And I I am so grateful for it. I don't think I could say that enough to anyone. Yeah, it's really amazing. As far as what you've described, it's just, it's great that you have somebody that you can mentor off of and people that have gone through something as tragic as this and had to live with it. And you don't find that everywhere. And I know that people do have and suffer through tragedies all the time, but to have people through Twitter or social media of any sort whatever you use, you didn't have that even 20 years ago. So it's really cool that they're able to help keep you propped up and happy and still moving forward. And I can only imagine the bad days. So it's great that you have to have, or great that you have a support system like you do. Now, what's your relationship with your grandfather and your, I mean, I know that you guys spoke together at CrimeCon and, he mentioned some really amazing things. What's the deal with the memorial? It's going really well. Um, I think, so everything you do, you have to get approved by somebody in the higher ups. I think they said Homeland something, but I couldn't tell you any of that information. Not because I can't, but because I have no idea what any of it means. So they are definitely working on getting I know the softball fields are there. There are softball fields there right now that are dug and there's limestone, all of that cool stuff. 
and they got a bunch of lamp posts is that what you like the big lights that they have at like football games yeah stadium stadium lighting state yeah they got a bunch of those donated from purdue cool and all of like i think they got some bleachers and some fences and stuff donated which i thought was really cool i'm like oh my gosh i go to school there that's so awesome my school's great and so those are all out there they're not put up but there's they're waiting for us to get the electricity and stuff put up and I think that the driveway is out there. And I do think that our goal is to have it op- like at least the softball fields open by next summer. I don't know if that's going to happen, but that's what I believe they said they wanted to do. So, yeah, we're pretty excited about it. It's going to be a really big, big yeah. success for us and outlet, too. Yeah, and I can imagine that it's going to be something that stands as you know, a testament to Libby and Abby and just being able to have someplace to go that isn't necessarily as overwhelming as visiting, you know, her grave. You can go and have some positive memories. And I think that's really cool. This is not some like, we're not talking about some little complex either. We're talking about a a million dollar project or multi-million dollar project, right? Do all interviews go this long? Um, No, well, some of them do. A couple of the bigger ones. Yeah. It's not a big deal. Okay. We're having good conversations. It's not a big deal. Yeah. I mean, I I try to, again, it's like such a tough subject to talk about and not, I don't want to bring you down because of the obvious reasons of, you know, it's terrible. Uh, But at the same time, trying to convey the story to the listener and, you know, get the information out there, but trying to handle it with kid gloves or, you know, whatever the proper old cliche is. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, good conversation. You know, like it's like I mentioned, I was tweeting with Sarah Turney the other day. Then I've heard, I told you I talked to her twice and both conversations were two hours. And I, I actually mentioned to her, I said that you had commented that it was nice to have her and your group of advocates. And she just, I'm like, oh, I just wanted to pass those nice words on to you. And she's like, Oh, thanks. And I love, she's like, I love Kelsey. <laughs> she's so sweet. I, we actually, we met at crime con this last year and it was actually kind of just like this weird thing that happened. So I was with morph and gray Hughes at their booth and gray was doing a live show and I kind of took over and I was doing like, you're live with Kelsey German and whatnot. And so we, we were like, John Lorden was right beside them, kind of diagonal. And he was talking to Sarah and I wasn't really paying attention. So I was answering all these live questions everyone had for me. And John was like, hey, Kelsey, there's somebody you need to meet. And so I, I interviewed her. Like I did, I'd never heard of the case. Like I'd never met Sarah, never seen her. And I inter- I interviewed her right there. I'm like, let's talk about whatever. Like, who are you? What are you here for? And I'm like, whoa, I'm I'm meeting somebody like this for the first time. Uh, it was really awkward after that. I'm like, oh my gosh, like I feel so bad. I don't know about this case and I'm sitting here like having fun and like talking to these people. But after that, we were like, we're pretty close now. So it was cool. Yeah, again, it's, you know, you don't... <laughs> You never know who you're going to meet at CrimeCon, and uh, you got to be careful. <laughs> with oh yeah, yeah. We didn't do it. Wasn't anything bad. I was just no, like, like sure. I didn't, ex- I didn't expect it to be somebody like that. But after that, I was like, man, I like I could have said something like 
like it wouldn't ever be offensive but like what if like she didn't want to talk about that at that moment or like what if I asked the wrong question or something just because I wasn't expecting to interview someone like I didn't have any (laughs) questions and like I didn't even I don't even think I asked what her name was like I think I was just like hey what's up let's talk like I don't I don't know it was just like a very impromptu interview and we just went with it you had the whole yeah, cr- was- crime con vibe going on so you were just you were kind of just freewheeling <laughs> yeah we were just then, going with it and then you meet sarah or uh yeah you meet sarah and you're like oh geez yeah Lo- loaded question there uh sorry about yeah. that yeah it was just like no like most people you expect like it just to be like like a random fan of like podcasts or whatnot and so I was just expecting it to be somebody that heard of the case and wanted to talk to me about it. And no, no, it was somebody else that was there advocating for their sister. So, I mean, I mean, I've, I've met so many victims advocates there. It's crazy. But I didn't really mean to meet them in that kind of way, I guess. I don't know. But it was fun. We had a it's, fun story about our friendship. I was going to say, it gives you a great memory that you'll be able to at least hold on to and know that that's how you guys first met and that is that is pretty funny i would doubt that anybody going up and thinking that they're going to be interviewed by you would expect you to be jovial and you know having fun and whatever and you know (laughs) but you know lo and behold (laughs) yeah yeah you are it was great (laughs) i actually think uh i assume you're talking about uh more from criminology yeah yeah, I think he's going to be on next Monday's episode. I've already got his, I recorded his passion case. He did the Golden State Killer. Oh, yeah. He's close to that one. Yeah. So we're going to do that on Monday. Well, he's already recorded. So I just have to edit, put it together and get mm-hmm. it out there. And I'm in the process of editing my show for tomorrow. <laughs> too many freaking shows. Oh, uh, God. This is what happens when you're the producer, host, and then writer of all of the stuff. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's a lot. It takes on a whole other life, and it's another job, but that's cool. It's okay. So, it's a fun job, right? Yeah, it's a fun job. People all the time. I, I, I get to talk to you. I get to talk to Sarah. I get to talk to – I mean, I can't begin to tell you. Like you were talking about in the first episode about fangirl uh, yeah. moments and – yeah, I mean, definitely have a fanboy moments here and there with the, uh, I mean, when I first met Nick and the captain, it was like, I talked with Nick more so, I never really talked with the captain only via Twitter, but Nick and I had done a bunch of phone interviews. And then I finally met him, I finally met him like a couple months later and it was like, oh, okay. You know, you don't ever put a, like, I don't go and like look people up generally. So I had mm-hmm. no idea what to expect. And then you see them at CrimeCon and they're wearing their sunglasses and Hawaiian shirts and, you know, they're just, they're characters. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're all so cool people. Like every, I have never met a podcaster, like a true crime podcaster, I guess. That is not like a cool person to like be friends with and like share your story with. Like they just want to be there for you. And I think that's like, that is super comforting for victims family members just because like these people really do care most of the time I I don't think I've ever met one that's like doing it for the money or just because they want attention like I've never met a true crime podcaster like that and that is just like that's super amazing and they're all really cool like they're fun 
It is fun. It is fun. I, I had the pleasure. I hope they do it again this year. Last year, I was next to Generation Y, right behind True, or let's see, I was right behind Trail Went Cold, then Nick and the captain were two booths away. So we were all like, and then Tim and Lance were right next to me on the right. So we mm-hmm. were all like on that same row. So that was really cool. I hope they do that again, even though Tim and Lance were rarely at their booth. Not to say anything, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't think I, I I went down and every year I go to all of the podcast tables and give them the flyer. And I think I I had to last year because we were we were upstairs with Maura Murray and I think there were a couple other people up there, but we were people didn't know we were there because we were upstairs where there was nobody else. Like there was like. Yeah, there was, like, no one. Like, the Cold Case Institute was up there, I think. But that's, like, about it. There were only, like, four booths. Mm. And uh, I had to go downstairs. And, like, everybody go upstairs and buy T-shirts because, like, nobody knew where our booth was. So I went down, passed out the flyer. Also, it was a new flyer. And nobody had that. So I I gave some to Morph, and he put them on his table. And I think I gave them to Renner, and he put them on his table. And so we kind of just had them all over the place and we were talking to people and trying to get people to share the flyer. And I think I did like 10 podcasts during those two days. It was crazy. There were so wow. many. Well, you didn't give me a flyer because I was right next to Renner and in between crawl space. So, you know, you were probably uh, talking. Oh yeah. 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 <laughs> no, but I actually, uh, I'd known Renner since 2007 or something like that. We both work mm-hmm. in the Cleveland media or, he worked in the Cleveland media and then, but we met actually originally about doing a, I was going to do a documentary on the Amy Mahalovic case. And that eventually mm-hmm. 10 years later turned into a podcast, but uh, yeah. I also got laid <laughs> off from that news job. So nice right before Christmas. Uh, it was awesome. Welcome to the world of journalism. And oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, that Glad was, I didn't do that. The, yeah. You'll have much better job security in the profession that you're going down than the one I'm in, I'm in. It's uh, <laughs> it's funny, but that's why it's fun that there's like podcasts and like you had mentioned, mm-hmm. the true crime podcasts that do this stuff for, you know, they they do it for the advocacy of the victims. They do like to see resolution. I mean, there is some satisfaction in that. I mean, I'm sure that you know Billy Jensen and Paul Holes were thrilled when they were able to, you know, solve one of their cases and. I think it's it's definitely it's just really cool that there's an option for people who want to just pick up a microphone and tell their story if they so desire. Yeah, definitely. And then there's people that are willing to talk about it like yourself that put themselves <laughs> out there and, you know, is willing to uh be open and honest and that's very it's got to be incredibly difficult but very much appreciated on my end. Yeah, thanks. And I think People connect with me better than they connect with my grandparents just because I, I'm i a little more emotional than my grandpa, for sure. And I'd, I think they're just, they're older, and I'm connecting with a different generation than they are. Um, so people look at my grandparents, and they're like, man, that could have been my kids. But they look at me, and they're like, man, that could have been my daughter. Or, like, I remind them of their daughters, or I remind them of their sisters, and they're like, man, that's like my little sister out there talking right now. Like she, she, I wish my sister, if 
something would have happened to me, I want that to be my sister. And you know how many people call me their sister now? Like, I, I'm, like, the world's sister or something. It is crazy. But I'm gonna bring that's you, just, I'm going like, to bring you a T-shirt with that. So weird. <laughs> I'm the world's sister. <laughs> Number one sister. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, definitely do that. Let's get one for Sarah, too. We're, we're about equal, I would think, okay. um, on well, things. But, <laughs> but it's crazy because that's just not how I see myself. I'm like... I I'm just doing this because that's my that's my best friend that was my sister and everybody's like yeah but I want you to be my sister and I'm like okay it's fine I'll be your sister but like just so you know I I can only advocate for one like I can only put my time into so much (laughs) so I'm gonna have to advocate a lot if all of you guys end up dying so just just be careful (laughs) so I just I just like not well, not to be funny, I guess. It is a little funny, but um, on a more serious note, I really do care about all these people, and they are like my siblings and like my family now. And so, like, these people are so great, and I will be their sister. And if I have to advocate my ass off for them, I will. But I just really, I really don't want to have to. Like, I really don't want these people to die, and I don't want to, I don't want to have to push as hard for them as I am right now. And so, if I have to, I will go. And that's, that's just who I am now, I think. Yeah, I definitely say that you would, you have evolved into the advocate person for sure, their advocacy person. Do you have any final words? Because I know you got to go to class here in a little bit. Do you have any final thoughts? Well, or- we, di- we didn't finish talking about the memorial park. And we so we probably should. Shit. We got okay. on a tangent. God, we get on tangents all the time now. All right. Gosh darn okay. it. All right. So you need, but you need to go to class, uh, right? Yes. Yeah. Good conversations. That's what's important. Yeah. I th- And I think it really does, like, I feel like I know you a lot more so than, and I like being able to see you as well. Not everybody likes mm-hmm. to do that. So it is kind of nice just to be able to put a face with a voice because otherwise, I mean, I know what you look like, but. If you're not, I can take cues from your voice, your, your facial expressions, which is nice. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. And it makes it easier. So like, if like somebody were to say a con, like something that was like offensive or like something you just don't want to talk about, it's easier to like tell if I'm uncomfortable or not. And then you can always, yeah. you can always <laughs> throw your hands up in the air and say, no, 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 no. Well, I hope yeah, I didn't. Yeah, let's go to the next question. Yeah, well, I hope I didn't ask any questions that made you feel that way. <laughs> I don't think so. I think it was all good. Yeah, so we're we're at the end of the case, at least. Hey. We made it about. So we're a we're two acts. Further. We're two acts in. <laughs> yeah. Look at that. Yeah, we're one almost act, there. One act to go. <laughs> almost, almost there. All right, Kelsey. Unless we get on a really big tangent next time. Which is very, <laughs> very, very possible. Tuesdays are my tangent yeah. days, so. Uh, okay, okay. Tuesdays and Thursdays, apparently. I'm a tangent guy. I'm sorry. It's gonna. What are you gonna do? <laughs> Not a well, big deal. All right. You be safe and have a great weekend. Yep. You too. Bye. Th- thanks, Kelsey. Yep. And Abby Williams, but. Kelsey, as you can tell, is a really strong advocate for her sister and is an extremely strong person as well. And I'd also like to thank all you guys that are listening. 
and helping to build my show's audience. Uh, the retweets and the likes go a long way to help spread the word about unsolved cases. And if you guys have any information regarding Libby and Abby's case, you are encouraged to email them at abbyandlibbytip at c-a-c-o-s-h-r-f dot com or they can be reached on the tip line which is one 459 5786 The Indiana State Police also can be reached at 1-800-382-7537 or the Carroll County Sheriff at 1-765-864-2413. If you guys enjoy this episode and my other shows, you can help support this podcast by clicking on the donate button on the left-hand side of slowburnmedia.com. That is slow minus the W. And you can also contribute to the show via the Venmo app with my username at Bill-Huffman-3. And really, every contribution does help keep these slow burn podcasts running. And again, you can also help support the show by just leaving a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever it is that you listen to your favorite shows. And again, I drop new episodes of Who Killed Every Friday at Midnight. And if you have any information regarding any of the other unsolved cases that I've covered, please don't hesitate to reach out to the FBI at 1-800-CALL-FBI, or you can always submit a tip anonymously via Crime Stoppers. So if you'd like to stay up to date on the cases that I have covered or the new shows that I have coming down the pipeline, please follow me on Twitter at BillHuffman3. Thank you guys again so much for listening. Thank you so much to Kelsey for her time. And until next week, be healthy and stay safe. True terrors of horror, bizarre happenings, unexplainable events. On our podcast, Disturbed, Terror Takes Center Stage. Each episode is a journey into the darkest corners of human existence, delving into bone-chilling tales of kidnappings, serial killers, maniacs, and the very essence of your worst nightmares coming to life on this weekly true horror show. Disturbed is not for the faint of heart. It's an exploration of real, unadulterated horror sourced from everyday people. Each episode is a descent into the macabre, where we narrate stories that will leave you on the edge of your seat and crawling in your skin. We navigate the disturbing narratives that lurk in the shadows, offering a raw and unfiltered listen into the most terrifying aspects of the human experience. Enter at your own risk and let the unsettling tales unfold in the haunting realm of Disturbed. And remember, listeners, stay safe out there. Ohio is a land of mystery, from missing shipwrecks and lost treasure beneath her surface 
to strange phenomenon slicing through her skies. From myths that have evolved around historic events and people, to the unsolved murders and disappearances that keep her communities wondering what happened. Find Ohio Mysteries on your favorite podcast app, and let's explore the inexplicable. OhioMysteries.com. Mm-hmm.